We are starting a new um, sermon series today uh, following the book of Ephesians called No Longer Strangers. And Ephesians gives us a blueprint, right? A way to build or create um, this community that God imagines for us as a church because we're people from all over different places. You know, when I meet folks in church, whether it's um, coffee with the pastors, if you're new or a new member class or a small group, people are from all over. You know, it's rare to have somebody who was uh, born and raised in Raleigh in our church. It exists and it's, it's rare. And so I think Ephesians is a great example of how we're all brought together from different places to be living in a certain way as followers of Jesus for a common purpose. And we'll go through Ephesians, this letter in the New Testament, these next six weeks. So today for the sermon, I'm going to read Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. And then when, we, um, when I preach, I'll read it again, probably some verses of it, because New Testament letters are from these like Greek manuscripts that are just really long run-on sentences. Uh, there's not periods and commas in it. And that's why when you read these letters, everything feels like a run-on sentence if you're an English teacher. So understand that, right? So we'll go through and, and read some a little bit separately after this first reading. So I invite you to hear God's word this morning. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love, he destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to the good pleasure that he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Christ, we have also attained an inheritance having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will, so that we, who were the first to set our hope on Christ, might live the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is a pledge of our inheritance toward redemption as God's own people to the praise of his glory. Church, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. And I'm going to move down here, down front, and then we're going to pray. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious God, I ask that you hide me behind your cross so that our focus is on you and not me. And as your Holy Spirit works in our hearts and minds today, so when we leave worship, what we think and say and do reflects Jesus. Amen. Letters of the New Testament were written, right? They didn't have uh, the New Testament yet. And so um, the writer of this letter, many people believe is Paul. Some people do not. It depends on the scholarship you read. But it doesn't matter because this letter has meaning and value if it's Paul or pseudo-Paul. 
Letters were written to go to house churches. And house church would get the letter out and they'd read it out loud in front of God and everybody, right? They'd read it out and they might pass it to another house church and somebody might copy the letter, you know, and copy it and give it to this group over here and then give it to the balcony group up here, right? And these letters were read and shared by early Christians. And this letter is kind of general in nature. That's why I think it's such a good blueprint. It's general in nature, meaning is not as much contextualization to specific things in other letters when Paul was writing a specific church about a specific issue. This is more of a general letter and it's really good, I think, for all of us to have a blueprint of what it means to be God's people brought together for a distinctive purpose. Now, churches are full of different people, right? We're human beings, we're different people, we're from different places and human beings have, you know, these wonderful, perfect traits, and we're also people who are fallen people who make mistakes. And Paul knows that. We're full of love and compassion and community and understanding and forgiveness and hope. We also can be full of you know, anger and judgment and prejudice. That's who we are as human beings. We can have those mixed things in our hearts. Some of the wonderful stuff God gives us and some stuff that that probably God says I wish was not in there. And those things can come up in church relationships. You know, um, love, uh, forgiveness, you know, common purpose, care, trust. And then we can have distrust and prejudice and judgment like any organization can have, but especially it can come up in church. And my hope and prayer for this sermon series is we all hear some things maybe new, about the blueprint God gives us to have this community um, that gathers together for a common purpose, for missional success, to share the gospel of Jesus, and to make the world more like God wants it to be. VBS was a great example of that, right? Kids came together, they praised God, they heard Bible stories, and they also gave to the community as you gave to them. And I think the way we begin with this is, as I read through some of this letter is, I think it starts with relationships. It's hard to trust somebody if you don't have a relationship with them, right? Do you really trust somebody you don't have a relationship with? I think trust begins with relationships. And in Ephesians, we wanna have relationships that are deeply rooted in this love of God through Jesus Christ, deeply rooted in love. And so this letter kinda of talks about especially what I just read today, talks about what is happening. Paul is writing the church saying, this is what happens when you say yes to Jesus. This is what happens when you follow Jesus. This is what happens when you're part of a church community, whether it's a little bitty old house church or a church like Wake Forest UMC. This is what happens. He's trying to give information and then meaning. I like to think about it with my car. So. So if you have a car that has an internal combustion engine, this is what happens, right? Now, if you have an electric car, that's different. So forgive me, I'm not an electric car expert. I'm really not an internal combustion engine expert either. But you get in the car, right? You crank it and you step on the gas to go somewhere, right? And then we need to stop, what do you press? The brake, right? Step on the gas to go, but what happens when you step on the gas? What happens, right? So you step on the gas, and you have this internal combustion engine, 
right? And it's full of uh, pistons and cylinders, and cylinders are fixed and pistons move. And it's a chemical reaction happens and takes place. So your carburetor injects fuel and oxygen together into a cylinder. Into that cylinder, that mixture comes in when you press the gas, and that mixture is ignited by a spark plug, and a mini explosion takes place. A mini explosion, and this, this, this gas becomes this hot, this hot gas in your engine, and it expands and expands, it pushes down the piston, and it turns a crankshaft in your car, and the crankshaft through some mechanisms moves your drivetrain, and you go. That's what happens. You probably don't think about that when you press the gas, do you? <laughs> right? You're probably thinking about other things. But that's what happens. Sometimes we just step on the gas and go, and we break, hopefully, right? <laughs> but we don't know what's happening. So Paul starts this letter by teaching us what happens when we say yes to Jesus and join a Christian community. It's what happens. Now, what happens when you drive a car? You step on the gas so that you can go around town, so that you can go to worship. You can take somebody to worship, so you can go to VBS. So you can take a child to VBS, so you can go to work, so you can go to the grocery store, right? So you can go to Harris Teeter, so you can go to Food Line, so you can go to the doctor, so you can go to practice, so you can get together with friends and family. The so that, you have a car, so that, you can go engage in these things in life, right? And if you can't drive, you need somebody to drive you so that you can engage in the community that is life. That's why you have it. You can't take it for granted, right? This mini explosion I'm talking about, you can't take your car for granted. It needs maintenance. You have to take care of it. New cars today have a maintenance light that comes on, right? Service engine soon, you know, Call dealer. My car has a display that says, go see your dealer soon. I know it's time for an oil change. You have to take care of it. If you don't maintain your car, it won't work when you need it. One of my first cars I had, uh, I paid for a, a part of it. My parents supplemented that. Um, when I was a uh, senior in high school, I earned enough money working um, from various jobs to buy a Honda uh, CRX. It was a really small car and it was a five-speed a manual transmission, right, with clutch and brake and gas, and, and I took care of that thing like it was my child <laughs> when I was that age. I kept all the maintenance records in my glove box folded up. I washed it. I would wax it. It was a red car, and I waxed it so much, it started having a yellow hue over it, right, from over-waxing from Carnuba wax back then. But I took care of it, right? I took care of it. I did not take it for granted. As people in church, we gather together for a reason so that we can accomplish something together. And we can't take it for granted. We have to participate in this relationship with God through Jesus to grow, to be nurtured, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, to have that spark hit us, to go be the people God wants us to be and spread the gospel. So Paul starts out with what's happening. What happens when you press the gas as a person of faith? He says, well, before you do anything, before you press the gas, he says, God already chose us. God chooses us first in Christ. Before anything happened, before anything happened, God chose us and everybody. You're chosen and you're invited, right? 
for this invitation, this hands always extended to participate in this covenant relationship because you're adopted as children of God. Paul says he destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ. So we are called to be brothers and sisters. We're no longer strangers. That's the first thing Paul wants us to know is that you're supposed to treat each other as family. Now, some of us come from families that probably don't treat each other great, right? I named that caveat. All of us have different family experiences. Some of us come from families that treat each other wonderfully because we're all different people from different places. We're called to treat each other as people who care and love each other and treat each other as family because we're all adopted together through faith to be a follower of Jesus. So the first thing is we got to see each other not as strangers, but as friends, as his family. And then he says, in addition to that adoption in Jesus, we have this redemption through God's gift of Jesus on the cross, forgiveness of trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he lavishes on us. So we're called to come together as brothers and sisters, as adopted people. We're called to love each other and develop deep relationships like you would a sibling, like a lifelong sibling, this deep relationship. And we all are forgiven our sins through the gift of Christ and Christ's work on the cross through grace that's lavished upon us. That's the important word. It's not held back. It's lavished. It's an overflow of grace. There's plenty. There's more than enough. I remember growing up in our, our church where I grew up, um, we would have like um, potluck meals, you know, potluck dinners and lunches. And there was always more than enough food, right? There was always more than enough. Like there was stuff left over, stuff not eaten. It was way, it was, food was lavished on us. And the old saying in my town was, it's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it, right? So God lavishes this stuff on us through God and Jesus Christ. And then, with all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will, that through the fullness of time, Jesus wants to, through God's work through Christ, gather up all things in him. It says, the plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Gather up all things. Jesus gives an image of this in Luke, when Jesus is lamenting over Jerusalem. He says, oh, how I wish to gather you, you know, as a, as a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings. This nurturing, gathering image that Jesus gives us. We know that the plan is to gather up all things through Jesus. Gather up all things according to his will. So that's what happens. That's what happens when you step on the gas, right? You're adopted as children. You're called to love each other deeply. You're all forgiven of sins and to uh, say, hey, God, forgive me my sins. It's, we're all just children of grace, right? And we're brought together to have these deep, loving relationships. We know that God wants to gather up everybody, all things to him. Us and us who's not here, right? It's not us and them. It's us here and it's us who are not here today. It's all us in God's eyes. And then the so that happens. This is what happens. Like you drive the car so that you can do all these things. So that we might live for the praise of his glory. We're gathered together for a common purpose 
to be successful as people who share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our mission is to share the good news of Jesus, make disciples of Jesus, and make the world like God wants it to be. We do that coming together for a common purpose. Although you're from different places, you have different faith backgrounds, some folks grew up Methodist, some folks here grew up Baptist, some folks here grew up Catholic, some folks here grew up Lutheran, some folks here grew up Presbyterian, some folks didn't grow up in church here, some folks grew up in non-denominational churches. Did I cover everything? If I left something out, let me know. <laughs> Look at the list of American denominations, it's expansive, right? So I probably left something out. And you as well, right? Whatever I omitted by accident. You're brought together for this common purpose. Sometimes in business, I'm a second career pastor in business, you would do things to try to do team building in a business environment. Has anybody been to a team building exercise at your work, right? So yeah, yeah, I see some hands up. Yeah, team building, right? Some things to, to build trust by developing relationships. Let me say that the other way. Team building is to develop relationships so that you build trust and succeed at a common purpose. I've done different things. You know, I've done those things in my business world, like a retreat where there was some work and some team building, some trust exercises. And I've done it in the nonprofit world. I remember one time I went on a team building exercise at a ropes course. And this is where they send you out somewhere in, in, at a camp. And the ropes course, you work together to go through this ropes course. And you start, you have a trainer, you start out with something easy, you help each other cross the plank or walk across a rope bridge. But then at the end, the crescendo of this team building is somebody stands on the edge of a table or something and you are willing to go fall back backwards while the rest of your teammates who are holding arms catch you, right? It's this ultimate thing of trust. It's always in comedies, it's always a parody where people just pull back, right, and the person falls down. If you watch The Office, I think there's a scene like that. But that's what it is. This, you build up to that moment where you, I'm willing to fall backwards and I know that my team will catch me, right? And if you haven't done that before, it is terrifying, right? Some folks won't do that. Some folks just won't do that. They just can't in their DNA. And maybe for a good reason, maybe they've been part of an accident before, maybe for a health reason, that's separate. Some people could physically do it, but they choose not to because they just can't trust other human beings enough that they'll catch them. The so that we have in Ephesians is so that we have these deep relationships. We know we're different people brought together for a common purpose so that we might live for the praise of his glory so that we might spread seeds of the gospel, so that we come together as a church, and not a social club, but as people united for a common mission to spread the good news of Jesus through what we say, what we do, how we give. That's what we're called to do, and we can't take it for granted. We have to work on that relationship, right? To be able to do this well, we have to pray, we have to read scripture, we need to worship, we need to gather. It helps to be in a small group, right? It helps to have somebody support you and be with you in hard times. It helps to look at ourselves in the mirror and confess when we're doing things that are hurtful and harmful and full of sin. It helps to be reconciled with people. All these things we do, we can't take for granted. It's like our maintenance light comes on sometimes. 
It's a daily and a weekly and a monthly thing we do to exercise our faith. That's what we're called to do. And then Paul ends this first section by saying, in him, in Christ. When you believed in him, the gospel of your salvation, you are marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit as a pledge of our inheritance toward redemption as God's own people to the praise of God's glory. You've been marked with the seal of the Holy Spirit. So all lays out sounds challenging, right? We need to come together as different people, you know, we need to have places of trust and hope and reconciliation. We need to come together for a common purpose, right? Live together, give generously, help our church spread the good news of Jesus Christ. We do it together. And we're not alone in that. In my combustion engine analogy, the spark plug is what I think of the, of the Holy Spirit, right? It, it's what ignites that mixture of oxygen, right, and gasoline. That's what makes it happen. That's what makes the combustion happen, right? Um, it's exothermic reaction, right? And when the, it makes the gas expand and push things down. So we got the Holy Spirit to help us. Now, sometimes it doesn't ignite a fire engine. Sometimes it comforts us and nurtures us. There's not a monolithic expression of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's there to nurture you and invite other people to nurture you. Sometimes it's there to drive us, you know, drive us to be generous, drive us to do things that offer hope, drive us to spread the good news of Jesus. How do you do that? Now, not all of us are called to um, go on mission trips across the country, some of us are. But you do it in everyday life. What would happen this week is every time you left your garage or your driveway, you're going somewhere to do something. You're going to Food Line, you're going to Harris Teeter, you're going to work, you're going to a meeting, you're going to the doctor. What if every time you left your house and stepped on that gas, in addition to what you have to do, you know that you are going to spread the good news of Jesus through what you say and what you do.